Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sam and Philippa onto the show. Please, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, tell us what it is that you do at Software and an interesting fact about yourself. Hello, I'm Philippa. I'm a software developer. I'm currently part of consulting, working on something related to finance. An interesting fact, I used to do technical theatre and went to the Fringe once, which was quite a lot of fun. Very exciting. What was your show about, Philippa? It was for an improvised comedy group. And effectively, the nice thing about improv is that you have an enormous degree of freedom over what you're doing regarding lighting and sound effects. So it was often quite chaotic, but very entertaining. (laughs) That that sounds fun and frankly terrifying. (laughs) Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a senior software developer here at Software with a focus on web and mobile front end. And I'm currently working on an app for LNER, train booking app. Great. So my my fun fact about myself, my last public audio appearance was a small part in a BBC radio play many years ago. Oh, very exciting. What play was that? So that was The Death of Faith, which is an adaptation of a Donna Leon book. I played the main character's son. I had all of 40 lines, but it was very satisfying. And we also got some um, sort of stock audio recording out of it of uh, me and my quote-unquote sister in the play bickering and arguing in the background while dinner is being made. That's some stock audio footage that may or may not show up in other BBC things, apparently. (laughs) So... That's an incredible fact. If you're ever listening, yeah, and like you think you hear some people bickering in the background, you're like, that sounds like a younger version of Sam. It may well be. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the massive topic of software on mobile phones. Just 20 years ago, when I was starting out as a coder, this was a very specialist type of software development and wouldn't be considered in the same area as the the then burgeoning web industry. So over time, as the hardware and operating systems on mobile phones has developed, not only has the usage of mobile phones and hence the usage of mobile phone applications skyrocketed, mobile and web development are becoming increasingly similar fields with today's software developers, of which I have two to talk to, are often having experience across both. So let's start at the beginning. How did mobile development start? Like, what was it like at the beginning? So in the very, very early days, consensus is that the first ever smartphone was around in 1993, but no one was really using it. So IBM BlackBerry making really like enterprise, I'm a very serious business person type devices, which is always going to be a more niche market than what we see today. So really, it kind of started with Java applications towards the end of the 90s. And there's so-called Java Micro Edition, which then had a bunch of very dodgy sites distributing games and little utility helpers and so on. So the these were kind of still on what we'd consider feature phones, but you could you could download and run an app that someone had written, and it was often a bit clunky, and there wasn't much sort of consistency for hardware access and things like that. So, yeah, that that kind of is the earliest time you see free consumer downloading or widely available consumer downloading of apps to mobile devices. Right. And then obviously we moved into the era of Apple iPhones Mm -hmm. and also the kind of competing Android platform and app stores. Mm -hmm. So I suppose one question is like, 
wouldn't it be better if they were all on the same platform? If we all had just had one mobile phone platform and, and didn't have to constantly be porting everything over or in the case of being a developer, writing everything twice. I mean, that would certainly be lovely. <laughs> and I'm sure both Apple and Google would be very happy to have the only smartphone platform that anyone was using. But that's not where we're at. And I think I think it's kind of reasonable in a way. There's there's always this trade-off of having competition is beneficial in terms of the not allowing any one platform to get complacent and, you know, breeding innovation and all these sorts of things. At the same time, yeah, every every additional platform that you need to support is additional costs, is additional work. And I think they do to some degree cater to different markets. iOS is very much for people that want things to just work out of the box. And Android is for people that really, you know, are more interested in having some freedom and flexibility and a bit more control over what their device is doing. Right. And the reason for that is that Android is essentially open source. So there's just a lot more scope for people to get involved and change things about it or even just find out what's going on under the covers. Yeah, exactly. Apple are very, very cagey about things they own and they want to have this wall garden approach and keep quite a tight leash on it. And Android is much more open source. There's, you know, people outside of Google can make their own flavors of Android and indeed most of the handset manufacturers do. There's a wide base of aftermarket versions of Android that, you know, sort of more technically inclined people can install over the one that their device comes with. And yeah, it's just a much broader ecosystem in that regard more open to like small makers and people yeah it's certainly more accessible even just looking at sort of the the price of just developer access that's you know 100 pounds 100 dollars for ios and it's essentially free for android and 20 25 pounds somewhere around there to get onto the play store much lower barrier to entry just from a financial perspective let alone anything else Okay, fantastic. So Philippa, maybe could you tell me a bit about how would you get started in coding for an Apple phone? So my first experience of mobile dev was with the LNER project shortly at the beginning of the year. And there are a number of things that took a while to adjust to. So firstly is that you require an Apple device, a Mac, and I'm both a partly Windows, partly Linux user. And there's a slight learning curve to simply adjust to the new interface. Just to clarify, so literally to write an app that will run on an iPhone, you have to code it on a Mac laptop or desktop. You can't code it on a PC and then upload it. Is that what you're saying? Just to clarify. That's my understanding, yes. You want to play with Apple, you have to do it all on their terms, right? Essentially, yes. So sorry, Philippa, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just wanted to kind of make that clear to anyone listening who's thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll just go and get started in it, that that's quite a big constraint. Yes, and I, I also think that relative to what a lot of developers get started in, for example, web development, if you're just building sites on your own and wanting to share them and show them off to people, it's a lot harder to kind of deploy and share what you've made. And so inevitably, people won't necessarily grow up with the seeds of this knowledge and how, for example, you build the layouts for the app, which I think is quite a distinction between the iOS app development and web development, which a lot of people have experience in. Yeah, because it's easier. If you want to get started in coding, then web development is like a great place to do it, right? Because you can just write some HTML and open it in a browser and boom, it's a web page. Yeah. 
at one end. <laughs> Obviously, it can get a lot more complicated than that too. No, that's basically the whole thing. <laughs> and so what, what about Android? How is the experience of developing on Android different? From a layout perspective, it's quite similar to HTML, where you're building a document kind of like a tree compared to iOS, where it's almost like if you've done graphic design and you're placing elements on a page and then snapping them to a line or setting certain width and height constraints between them. And this is a certain mindset you have to learn when you make the transition that constraint-based layouts or like in an iOS layout world, you don't need the same degree of nesting that you might when you're making the Android-based layout structure. Mm, super interesting. So so there's not only are they totally separate app stores that you're going to need to deploy to running totally different operating systems, you then presumably it's a lot easier to code an Android app on any type of machine. Easier, I think, is relative to what you're experienced with. So I think some people on the team found coding in Android or developing Android apps easier and more amenable because it was a bit more similar to what they're used to thinking about layouts in. And that means that when it came to iOS layouts, there were many bad habits that we unintentionally carried over. For example, treating it like it was an HTML document and nesting elements much more deeply than they really needed to, which made maintainability a bit harder. I certainly found over the course of the project, iOS was the side that I had to I found myself stepping in more to try and help people and be like, hey, actually, there's a better approach to doing this. And I am kind of notorious on the team. I am quite a big fan of iOS's constraint-based layouts. I think they're wonderful, but they're very different from almost anything else that's around. When you're familiar with them, you can do some really lovely stuff, and they, they are very close to the design side of how you would approach a, a design in the abstract. But that is not how essentially any other typical modern UI is constructed. And even Apple are moving away from it and into a, something a bit closer to what a modern web interface is constructed in their newer versions of iOS. But it is markedly different from anything people typically have seen. Whereas Android, I just found that, you know, looking at other people's work, people coming into it knew were much more likely to do something that was kind of coherent and made sense and was reasonable on their first pass. Mm. So I think something that often blows people's minds a bit when they're thinking about building an app to support their business is this kind of really large cost of having to build everything twice. Are there any other options apart from doing literally everything twice? There's a real spectrum these days. Obviously, at one end, I, as a, a diehard native mobile developer, am quite fond of the build everything twice option. Um, <laughs> I think there's different behaviors and different expectations of UX on the different platforms. And at some level, sooner or later, if your your app is really kind of slick enough and you really want to be best in class, you have to accommodate the expected UX including the bits where it differs between platforms. And so that necessarily means at least some parts of your app will be different between the two platforms. Obviously, I appreciate that not everyone is targeting absolute best in class. And even the people that think they're targeting best in class will balk at the cost of building two essentially distinct applications. Right. At the other end of the scale, by far the most successful thing, and I will wholeheartedly recommend this to people, is just make a website, make a progressive web app, you know, fill in all the necessary metadata to have it 
appear as an application on the user's phone. That's a thing you can do these days. But just make a website. It works everywhere. It works on every phone. Even you know non-smartphones will at least be able to open it. You might have some you know issues with the JavaScript you're running or something. But by and large, a website can run anywhere in a way that a mobile app just can't. And then in between, there's this, there's a range of cross-platform frameworks. LNER, I'm really happy because we've gone right over towards the native end. But there's, there's new technology that allows us to write a lot of our shared logic in one common language and then make use of that on both platforms. Typically, a lot of the other frameworks for cross-platform dev amount to writing a website and then wrapping it up inside an application, which I personally... I tend to find inferior to just making a website and owning that that is what it is. Right. Again, it's it's kind of about user expectations. Something that's presenting as an application, the users tend to have much more rigid and much higher bar for tolerance compared to a website where they understand that the internet is a wide and varied place. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences where I've been using an app and I've pressed a button that's something slightly non-standard. And it, it's because I, I know how it's working. It's clearly opened a web page within the app mm-hmm. and suddenly the whole experience of using it is totally different and always like much, much worse at that point. Yeah. And I think there must be a lot of people who are just like, oh, why why does this button make it go so weird? <laughs> yeah, it's very jarring. And that's exactly this thing of people don't necessarily appreciate the difference in UX expectations there. People understand just through osmosis and using them how a website works and people understand how a mobile app works. And equally, when you are developing a cross-platform app, this is often a thing we have to sort of discuss with clients or designers that are more used to the web or something. When explaining that the two platforms, you kind of want apps that do do slightly different things. Because although that's weird to you when you're looking at the two apps side by side, a user isn't looking at your two apps side by side. They're looking at your Android app versus every other Android app they use or your iOS app versus every other iOS app they use. Right, exactly. And and they're used to using their phone and the yeah. a button that appears on their phone, whatever app it happens to be inside, they're used to using that in a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Like there's just a consistency of behavior across the platform that you kind of want to try and match when you're building an application. Is there also the argument that you want to match the customer's expectation between when they're using it say on a desktop versus on their phone i think that's actually a really really good question yeah i think there is an argument for that i suspect very broadly speaking it comes down to matching their expectations of how your features work in the abstract between platforms and then on a given platform the specifics of how you access those features will be more dependent on the platform that they're using so your users will expect to have the same mental model of what your application is doing between all platforms, but the specifics of the UI that they're dealing with to get to that functionality probably wants to be more platform specific. But we can take away that it it's complicated, right? It's it's not just about like, oh, you need to book something, just make it really simple. It's like actually there's a lot of things to consider to give the customer what they want. Which kind of brings me on to my next question, actually, because I suppose from a software developer's point of view, one of the good things about everything having to be written twice is there's a lot of work out there for mobile software developers. So if someone's listening and thinking, oh, maybe maybe I could do that, is it possible to teach? Because I'm aware that if you learn to code at software, then obviously you've got this whole infrastructure of support and other people who, who know what they're doing. If you're sitting at home on your own, is it possible to teach yourself 
how to do it? I'd certainly say so. I, I have a fairly positive outlook on how feasible it is. I think smartphones have seen a kind of renaissance of bedroom coding in a way that hasn't really existed since, you know, Commodores and BBC Micros and things. Certainly, my first experience with mobile dev was in a professional context, but it was in a professional context of a company that had no prior experience and went, here's a Mac, go and work out how iPhone apps work and (laughs) let them do it for a month. And to be clear, I did not have a working app after a month. It took rather longer than that, but I, I knew what I was doing, broadly speaking, after a month of it and felt confident calling myself a, you know, novice mobile developer. But yeah, I think evidence would suggest that it's, this certainly is a relatively accessible space. Again, particularly for, say, Android, typically all you need is a computer you probably already have, a phone that you've already got in your pocket, assuming that is your preferred platform, and a USB cable, and that really is all you need to get started. There's something quite enticing about this device that you spend so much of your life with being something that you yourself can you know, write programs for and customize to do something entirely novel that's of use to you or just of amusement to you, since that's where I think a lot of people start. It's also, it's nice that whatever type of coding you're setting out to learn, one of the cool things is coders hang out on the internet, right? So there is a large body of resources and communities online where you can get help. So for example, if you were starting out in Android, then um, Google provide online tutorials. You know, you can literally Google Android mobile development and you will find how to's and videos and lots of resources and possibly even also people who are accessible forums where you can go and ask for help. And I think that's fantastic for when you're getting started. I think it's very easy to underestimate just how eager people with these skills and knowledge are to share them a lot of the time. This also led to one of my favorite moments I saw looking up some quirk of how Android works, which was reading a Stack Overflow post on the subject where one of the answers was quite constructive and prescriptive. It's a very good answer, but it was very much like, here is how you should probably approach things. Doing it another way is probably a bad idea. The comments were bickering with this answer a little bit about, I'm not sure it's correct. And it turned out that the person who had answered was actually one of the core developers of Android itself from the outset. (laughs) And there were quite a few comments after a while of, I think you should check who it is you're replying to here. Right. So lots of high profile people like like, want to help. You know, this was just someone was on Stack Overflow, asked a question, and one of the original developers of the operating system itself showed up to go, yeah, this is a bit confusing at times. Here's how it works internally. And here's therefore what you probably want to do. And like, that's absolutely magical. The idea that the creator of the platform you're working on will just show up to try and helpfully answer questions you have about it. Yeah, it's very cool. So if we look at the other end, what's different when you're kind of moving from maybe doing a hobby project in your bedroom to developing a large scale application, like, for example, the LNER train booking application? What different considerations do you have and do you need to think about when you're coding for it? I'd probably say the biggest one from my perspective that I worry about on these projects is just kind of robustness. If you're making something, even if it goes up on the Play Store, if you're making a sort of little toy app or a small game or, you know, anything that that screams, you know, my first mobile app, if it crashes here and there, if it shows slightly weird behavior and quirks, if you haven't, you know, got this eye for platform-specific UX or anything like that, it, it sort of doesn't matter. There isn't 
so much at stake. Whereas a lot of the time, I think the biggest concern for me when we're working with a client is that whatever we produce is representative of their brand, of their public image. And there is an expectation that if you, you know, you're a large paying organization putting out a mobile app, people really do have an expectation that it's just going to work and it'll do what they want. And they get very frustrated very easily when it doesn't. And that doesn't just make them irritated with the application. It makes them think less of you know, the client's brand. And so that slickness and smoothness and just robustness of behavior is really, I think, the main one that I I spend a bunch of time worrying about when we're releasing things. So this is broadly the transition from someone doing a hobby project versus a team-based enterprise and the actual delivery to mark deadlines. I think that's a very valid point about reflecting on a brand's image and when you're actually using a product with a name behind it and wanting to live up to whatever the client has has asked. I think broadly the code maintainability is much more of an issue when you're working with other people. And this is obviously not something that's mobile dev specific, but it is, I think, still relevant that when you're doing something alone, often you'll be holding assumptions as to how things work. And it's much more important to be clear and a clean coder when you're aware someone else will inherit what you've written. It may even be you in the future. <laughs> making sure that transition is smooth and that kind of little tricks or workarounds you have to do are well understood so that they don't get cargo culted unnecessarily. Yeah, the the amount of documentation that professional projects generate versus the very conspicuous lack of documentation that a lot of personal projects tend to have is is certainly a significant difference as well, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, th- I think those are kind of like the three things, aren't they? There's the expectations of the end users, there's the scale, and then there's the fact that you're building it as part of a team rather than as a single developer and making sure that you're working and possibly as part of a a team across time, right, that includes future you who might have forgotten what past you did and also other people who aren't yet working on it and everyone needs to be able to understand what the code's doing and and work on it going forwards. Well, thank you both so much. That has been absolutely fascinating. As a user of, like most people, a user of mobile phones, I just think it's incredible thinking about all the work that goes into developing these applications as they continue to get easier for us to use and hence harder to create. If you're thinking about whether you can reach new clients or serve them better with a mobile app, please do get in touch. We're at Software UK on Twitter. Mm-hmm.